Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. And when we get crushed, man, may the thing that comes out of me be the pleasant aroma of Jesus Christ not the yuck and the goo and all of the stuff of like that nobody wants. Nobody wants to clean that up. Nobody wants to deal with that mess. Joseph says no. He's like, no, I'm not going to. He refused. He absolutely refused. And he put it in perspective. He says, listen, ultimately, this is going to mess up the thing that I have going with God. And I'm not willing to pay that price. I'm not willing to pay that price. God looks after the lives of His children that are fully surrendered to Him in full obedience. Even when the situation seems bleak, He can use whatever you're going through for your good. Today, Pastor James takes us to Genesis 39 to look more into the life of Joseph and how he stood firm in his faith and convictions no matter how bad the temptations around him seemed. Because of his unwavering faith, Joseph was blessed greatly by the God who he chose to serve in full obedience. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Genesis chapter 39 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. Joseph had this relationship with the Lord, and yet he was a young man. Yeah, he was attractive. He's a stud, and she notices this. It's almost as if for the first time she's aware of what's going on around her. It's like her head's buried in her romance novels, and she sees Joseph, and she flips the cover of the romance novel, and she's like, wait a minute, this guy looks like all these guys. And they didn't have internet back then and you know, books even. I mean, she's just lounging around in her home, and she notices this guy, and he is like everything that she has dreamed of in one sense? Now, how can we say that? Well, because of how she looks at him. It's not just like she glances at him and knows he's he's an attractive man. It's not like that at all. Oh, yeah, he's attractive. He's cute. Whatever. Move on. Like, not that. No, she fixes her gaze upon him. Very handsome, well-built young man. Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him, as the New Living Translation says, lustfully or with desire. That may be what that says there. With desire. And not just like she notices him. No, she has zeroed in on him. He is in her targets. We don't know if she's ever done this with any other servants. We don't know anything about her. We don't know if this is out of character for her. We know nothing. But she goes to this pretty naturally and pretty quickly. And she zones in on this young man, and it says it right there. I mean, her desire was for him. She's looking at him lustfully. She cast her eyes on Joseph as if he was a prey. And the cougar is on the hunt. Her eyes are cast on him, and she's determined, he will be my trophy. He will be my conquest. He will be my trophy. I'm going to tell you this. We don't know anything about this lady. But I can promise you this one thing. With Potiphar being who he was and the job that he had, she is probably an attractive lady. She's probably a very attractive lady. Because unfortunately, whether we like it or not, those were some of the standards that were happening back then. Well, guess what? That's kind of some of the standards we live in today as well. 
obviously what's on the inside of her is just death, as the Proverbs would say. But she is an attractive lady. So for Joseph, a young man living in a foreign country, far away from his family, nobody knows who he is. I mean, he's got the perfect opportunity. He could easily hook up with this lady, and nobody would even know. Nobody would even know. But character determined his decisions. His character determined his decisions. If it were any of his other brothers, they would have gone for it. If it was a 17-year-old James before he knew the Lord, he would have gone for it. He would have gone for it. I mean, you put me as a teenager in that same situation, like, I don't even want to think about the stupidity I would have done. This is a difficult situation for him to be in. And here's this lady, attractive lady, I'm sure of it, saying, hey, I'm the boss of the house. You don't work for my husband. You work for me. And you will do what I say. And what did she say? Lie with me. Lie with me. Or how we can translate that is become one with me. Become one with me. Give in to my desires. Give in to my lust. Be an end to my means, so to speak. She's got him in a target. But look at Joseph. Look at how he responds. Verse 8, he says, Joseph refused. He refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. He's put everything that he has in my charge. He's like, er, he's like, uh-uh, lady. He's like, hold on, hold on. No. And it's as simple as that. He doesn't have to give her an explanation, but he's going to lay it out for her. This 17-year-old young man is going to lay it out for this grown woman. He's going to say, uh, no, no. I mean, it's as simple as that, where he's like, look, let me explain something to you, lady. I don't know how things work here in Egypt, but where I'm from, you don't do this. This is dishonoring. He's like, listen, because of me, my master, um, your husband, he's not worried about anything, including you around me. So no, he's going to deny her advances. This is a good thing for us because... This is going to eliminate any excuses. If you think like, man, temptation's too strong, I can't say no. Well, people did say no to temptation. And that's something that I have to remember, we all have to remember, is that you can say no. I don't care how strong the urges are. This is a 17-year-old young man. I mean, the body, physically, the hormones, I mean, everything's there. There's a perfect storm happening within this young man. But he says, no, I'm not going to give in to these physical desires that I have. Because I don't function that way. There's a bigger thing. There's something greater than the desires that are happening with inside me. Joseph refused. He says, look, uh, my master trusts me with everything, New Living Translation again, in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do, including you. He has held back nothing from me except you because you are his wife. You were his wife. And culturally, too, there wasn't much said about them having multiple wives or anything like that. I mean, a monogamous-type relationship was practice in this culture. So even though there may not have been a lot of romance happening, there was commitment happening. They were committed to each other. And Joseph has to remind her about that, like, listen, you made an agreement with my boss that you two would be faithful to each other. I'm not going to mess that up. I'm not going to mess that up. No one has more authority than I do. And he goes on to say, how could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. Man, I wish I had this resolve that he has. 
Like, I wish I had that as a young man. Even to this day, like now, hopefully we're growing and we're learning that we're not sinless, but we're learning to sin less because the more you fall in love with Jesus, the more you're like, I don't want any of this stuff. I want my relationship between me and the Lord. That's what I'm focused on. Joseph, as a young man, is just like, no, that's it. It's just me and Jesus. It's me and Jesus. I don't want anything to come in and mess that up. I just don't want anything to mess that up. That's why I admire him so much. As believers, we ought to look like this. And I would just say, I stand in a weird kind of position being a pastor and having my own list of guys that I used to follow and listen to who are all out of the ministry now because they gave in to this very temptation. And it's like, we got to be different. We have to be different. There has to be character. And when we get crushed, man, may the thing that comes out of me be the pleasant aroma of Jesus Christ and not the yuck and the goo and all of the stuff of like that nobody wants. Nobody wants to clean that up. Nobody wants to deal with that mess. Joseph says no. He's like, no, I'm not going to. He refused. He absolutely refused. And he put it in perspective. He says, listen, ultimately, this is going to mess up the thing that I have going with God. And I'm not willing to pay that price. I'm not willing to pay that price. And the story ends, and she's like, yeah, I admire that. I respect that. I'm going to get saved, and I'm going to follow Jesus too. And uh, no, that's not how it worked out. And oftentimes, that's not how it works out. Because you can say no to a temptation one time, but let me tell you this. It's going to come back, and it's going to keep coming back, and it's going to keep coming back. We have to remain persistent in our pursuit of holiness. You have to be persistent in these things, saying, no, no, no. Individuals have taught me this going into the ministry. The best word you can learn in ministry is no. Hey, you want to do it? No. Hey, can you? No, no. Hey, you? no, 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 um, no, no. I want to stay focused on Jesus and what he's called me to do. And these types of things, they're distractions and they're sins. It's not a good look for us. It's not a good look for Christians. Say no. He goes on to say, verse 10, she puts the pressure on him. She kept pressuring. She kept putting pressure on Joseph day by day, continually, day after day. He would not listen to her to lie beside her or even to be with her. I mean, this is the depths at where she's going. She's like, okay, okay. Well, we don't have to sleep together, but maybe just cuddle with me. And he's like, lady, no. Like, just sit next to me. He's like, no. Just, and he gets to the point where he's like, I'm not even going to be in the same room as you. But she's continuing on. Here's the contrast within this story. Samson's like, yeah, I'm in. Like, I'll do it. Like, pressure? Yeah, okay. Um, we see that throughout his life in the book of Judges. He gave into it like multiple times. Still used by the Lord. Amazing. Here's Joseph's like, no, no, no. This lady, man, what lawsuits would be thrown at her in the day and age in which we live today, right? Like, Joseph's part of like the Me Too movement. He's like, listen, I, no, no means no. Like, leave me alone. Quit harassing me. Stop it. But she's got power in his life. And I mean, this is exactly what we're dealing with today. It's just the tables are turned. This is her house. She's like, you're my slave. You work for me. And essentially, she's saying, you will do what I tell you to do. Slaves had no rights. They had no rights. For him to be telling her no is really a big deal. Because he understands that this could cost him He's already in a foreign place. He knows nobody. For him to take a stand for his relationship with God and say, no, this could cost him everything. And ultimately, it is going to cost him everything. 
but he's better for it. You're always better by saying no. You just always are. He refused to sleep with her is what the text says, and he kept out of her way as much as possible. Like, she comes in the room, he leaves the room, right? He's very smart about this. He's like, um, he knows the schedule, he knows all that. She knows his schedule as well, and so she's on the prowl. She's going to get him. We don't know if Potiphar knows any of the stuff that's going on. We have no clue as to where he's at within the story at this point in time. But this is what's happening in his house. One day, however, verse 11, no one else was around when he went in to do his work. Now, this is a red flag. This is a warning. And he notices this immediately. He's like, wait a minute. Something's not right. Where's everybody at? says, verse 12, she came and grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, come sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand, and he ran from the house. Run, Joseph, run, right? Like, write that book. Run, Joe, run. Just keep running, dude. She becomes physically aggressive towards him. She is assaulting him. You could classify this as a sexual assault on him. She is physically grabbing this guy to where he has to wrestle himself away from her grasp, and she tears his clothing. You know she's got a good grip, and she tears this clothing away from him. And there she is holding his cloak as he fled, dealing with humiliation on her end. Because, again, we don't know anything about this lady. We don't know if this is the first time she's ever done this. If so, she's probably never experienced rejection like this in her life. Nobody ever turns me down, right? Like, she's probably, again, a beautiful woman. She's like, are you kidding me? Nobody ever turns me down. So there she is, humiliated, rejected. And now she's got to fabricate this story. Verse 14, she called out to the servants, whom she probably sent away. Soon all the men came running. Look, she said, my husband has brought this Hebrew slave here to make fools of us. He came into my room to rape me. But I screamed. When? When did you scream? When? That's what the servant should have been asking. You're like, well, we didn't hear a scream. I mean, we heard you calling for us to come into here, but when did you scream? We didn't hear anything. Why are you still holding on to that cloak? Why are you still clutching to that thing so tightly? That doesn't add up. We know Joseph, and this just doesn't make any sense. But I screamed, and when he heard my scream, he ran outside and got away, but he left his cloak behind with me. Well, why would he leave it behind with you? Why would he leave evidence? Wouldn't he snatch that up and then run away? I mean, if you just ask questions, and I don't know. She kept the cloak with her until her husband came home. Like, when it says that, she, like, kept the cloak with her until her husband came home. She could probably still smell Joseph on this garment of clothing. She is clutching this thing like it's a security blanket. She's got it with her. It's not just like, oh, there it is. He left his garment here. No, she has it with her, clutching this thing. Even when her husband walks in the door, he's like, what are you doing? Isn't that Joseph's coat? Oh, yeah. Let me tell you what he tried to do to me. The story doesn't add up at all, but she kept it with her until her husband came home, and then she told him the story, the Hebrew slave you brought, your fault, to our house, tried to come in and fool around with me, so she even changed her story. Like First, it's like, oh, you tried to rape me. Now it's like, well, he's trying to fool around with me. She even changes the verbiage there. Like, it's not even as severe. But she's just putting it all onto her husband and to Joseph of like, listen, this guy you brought in, he tried to mess with me. But when I screamed, he ran outside, leaving his cloak with me. 
Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held. There he remained. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that had happened in the prison. He gave him a job, basically. The warden had no worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. Like, this is Joseph's life. He's just like, yeah. You know, like, no, lady, I'm not going to. Well, she makes up this story. And it never says that Potiphar is angry with Joseph. I hope we understand that. You got to understand, Potiphar is mad at the story because he just lost the best worker ever. And he probably knows, my wife, it's her fault. But he's got to deal with it because he's an official and you have to act on these things. And in this society, at this point in time in history, Joseph would have been put to death. He would have been put to death. There was no questions about it. He would have been executed immediately. So Potiphar is showing him favor by putting him with the keeper of the prison in his house, so to speak. He probably was put in a nice place, still prison, still prison, unjustly so, but it still shows that relationship that Potiphar had, and he knew, like, I'm losing Joseph. I'm losing the best thing that has happened to me. Why? Because of her but I have to act on it because if I don't, I'll lose my job. And so he throws him into prison as gently as he can. And Joseph's like, well, I'm here. What do you guys need done? <laughs> like, here I am. I guess this is where I'm going to live for the next who knows how long. This is where God has me. So what do you need me to do? What do you need me to do? I love that. I would have been like throwing a fit in this prison. I would have been losing my mind so outraged at the injustice that had just happened to me. Man, I would have been writing letters on my papyrus and all that good stuff. Like, hey, the justice needs to be served here. Like, I would have been so consumed with my own self, I would have been of no use to the Lord in a jail cell. But not Joseph. Joseph shows up and he's like, well, this kind of stinks, but God's still with me. What do you need me to do? The guy who runs the prison's like, I like you. You're pretty smart. You got great character. Here's the keys. You're in charge now. Joseph's like, all right, I'll run this place. It's the most successful prison ever. <laughs> like, it's amazing. It's crazy that, but again, it's not because of Joseph's so smart. It has nothing to do other than the fact that the Lord was with him. He never left him. He never forsook him. He never abandoned him. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Why do I so easily give up on that promise? It's because I turn inwardly so often, and I look at my circumstances. I'm like, why me? Instead of like, okay, let me take a step back. God, I know that you're sovereign, and you're in control, and that you're with me. So I'll just roll with this. I'll just roll with it, and I'll see what you want to do. Because you got a plan. Your word tells me you got a plan. My plans always work out in the worst way possible. Your plans always work out for the better. You think, I've been walking with the Lord since I was 19. So more than half my life I've been walking with the Lord. That sells me. That's a lot. Um, I'm old. I know. You would think by now I would have learned. Still on a journey. We're all still on a journey. We're all still learning these lessons. Here's the most important thing we can come to a realization today. Potiphar's wife will always show up within our lives. She's always going to be there. She figuratively speaking, is always going to come knocking at your door. 
the worst thing for you to do is say, I have enough willpower where I can deny this. That's not true. Maybe you can for so long. That'll fade out quickly. That'll go away fast. The best thing that you and I can do with living in this world in which we live in, that we want to be impactful here, the best thing that we can do is wake up in the morning realizing, okay, hey, Lord, thank you so much that you're with me right now. Live in that realization. So when she comes knocking on your door, whoever she may be or whatever that is, you don't turn to open the door. You step out of the way and say, hey, Jesus, can you answer this? Because I'm not strong enough. I'm not strong enough. If I've learned anything in walking with him for 20 years, it's that. I'm not strong enough. I'm not. As a young man, I used to pray when I got saved. I could not understand this thing called Christianity. I just couldn't understand it because my thought was like, God, why don't you take the temptations away? This just doesn't seem right. If you don't want me to sin, then remove them all. Like, send them away. Never let them happen in my life, and we'll be good. Now it's like, I don't pray that way. I don't pray that way. One sense I do pray, Lord, lead me not into temptation. Like, Lord, help me just to turn to you every moment of every single day. And when something comes my way, I pray, Lord, that I just run to you, that I'm smart enough and I'm humble enough now to say, God, I can't handle this. I can't handle this. She's here again. Jesus, I need to run to you. I need to run to you. I think we got to get there. we got to live in that reality of like, we're not people who have it figured out. We're people who are just being transformed by the grace of God. And we're on this journey. And he's conforming us into his image. But none of us are there yet. We're not there yet. So maybe show a little grace to yourself. Maybe show a little grace to other people. Maybe just, we all just need to run to Jesus and say, Jesus, none of us are able to handle this thing. We need you more in our lives, each and every day, each and every day. David was in his 50s when he slept with Bathsheba. He was in his 50s. The thing my pastor told me the night before I got married, this is the best advice he gave me. We celebrated 18 years of marriage last Sunday. Partly why we weren't here. The other part was because we were asleep, because we got in at our house at like 3.30 in the morning from California. So I woke up at 10.30, and I was like, oh, church is happening. Praise God I'm not there, because I would have come stumbling through that door, and it would not have been pretty. 18 years of marriage, my pastor said, let me tell you this. The temptation will never go away. Temptation will never go away. He's like, you stay, you fight every single day until you're standing before your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's like, the temptation will never go away. He's like, you need to be aware of that. And as a young man, 22 years old, when I was getting married, I was like, oh, that's good. <laughs> like, oh, because I thought this was going to solve everything in one sense. But, and he's right. We need to be like Joseph, just so committed to our relationship with Jesus. And let me tell you this, I hope and I pray that that speaks of you. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, Today is a beautiful day, a perfect day for a fresh start within your life to say, you know what? I just want Jesus. You want him in your life. You need him in your life because this is going to happen to all of us. Temptation will come to all of us. May you be found in Christ when it comes knocking on your door. And just let Jesus answer that door. Say, I can't do it, Jesus. You got to help me with this. Hopeless, 
There's so much to learn from the pages of Genesis, but sadly, that's all we have time for today on Bread for the Broken. We're so glad you've spent your time with us today and would like to take a moment and let you know how you can hear more of Pastor James Grizzle's teachings. Simply navigate to breadforthebroken.com and click on Teachings to access our archive. Feel free to share the teachings with your friends and family or post them to social media. We love it when we can share the good news of the gospel with anyone and everyone, and you are a part of that. While you're at our website, you'll be able to discover more about the church behind the ministry of Bread for the Broken. Calvary Galveston isn't just another church in our city. We want to be a light for Jesus to all who enter through our doors. We love the Word of God, Jesus, the people of our church, and the people of our city. Do you live in Galveston or are you visiting soon? We'd be honored to meet you in person. Calvary Galveston gathers for Sunday morning services at 10 a.m. Not too early, but in plenty of time to start the week out with worship. Our atmosphere is pretty relaxed. Just come as you are. At our service, we search the scriptures for what God wants to teach us, and we spend time reflecting and celebrating Him through worship. Visit breadforthebroken.com for our address and to get more information. We're excited to meet you. Thanks for tuning in today to Pastor James' teaching. Join us again next time to continue through Genesis and find hope and new life in Jesus. Jesus.